Well met, friends. I'm Steph Midlock. And I'm Jude Vays. Welcome to Atherbeth, a podcast bemoaning the biopics of Tolkien's Legendarium. Do we have any corrections in the calls to sack this month? We do. Oh, we boy. Actually do. We blew yeah, it. Yeah, so this comes from Twitter. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, from friend of the show, at Eisenmania. That's our friend Joe. Um, so actually, last month in episode 11, when we finished up our horsey talk, near the top of the episode, we talked about Erod, who was the horse that was owned by the Rohirrim guy who got killed, and then Legolas, he became Legolas's horse, right? Yeah, yeah. And we used the term light horse, and I loved the fact that we used a term and had no idea what it meant, <laughs> because the question came up of like, what does that actually mean? And I, I was so brilliant, I thought it meant light in color, and you uh, kind of meant, you thought it meant perhaps a rotund horse. Or No, I think I, th- I, I suggested that it meant as opposed to a rotund horse. Right. Rotund oh, right, right, horse. Right. Sorry, you're right. Of course. So it was not the, the fat horse. Of a it was horse. <laughs> yes, a, a skinny horse. Yes. Well, I, I think we might both have been wrong. Uh, <laughs> Highly unsurprising. That, yeah. <laughs> nobody was shocked by that. Uh, Joe pointed out that the term light horse uh, may mean light cavalry, which were horses that were lightly armored and carried like a lighter load. And so they could they were like super swift and fast uh, and much faster than heavy cavalry horses. And to me, that makes a a lot of sense. That makes a a ton of sense. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Joe, I think you nailed that one. (laughs) So thank you very much, Joe. Uh, I think you're right. And so that, yeah, so great. And thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. Um, and remember that if you ever hear something weird on this podcast, you can always contact us on Twitter. We're at Atherbeth underscore cast and let us know. Specifically um, something weird and wrong. Experience. Um, there's a lot of weird stuff on this podcast, but in this case, in this specific case of corrections calls to sack, we're speaking about the stuff that's weird and wrong at the same time. Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks again, Joe. So this is our 12th episode. This is one year of doing this goofy uh, podcast with you. Wow, that's amazing. Happy anniversary. Thank you. I uh, just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Uh, this podcast was something that I've wanted to do for a really long time, and it has been a pure pleasure, really. Um, it's been such a joy doing this with you, Steph, and I am really really thrilled that it's turned out as well as it has so thank you oh my gosh no thank you that that's amazing i think i'm gonna i'm gonna cry um no i've i have to thank you as well because you know our listeners don't know this but jude kind of had this idea a lot longer than a year ago and was kind of trying to get me interested in it for a while and i kept being like uh maybe and then never getting back to him about anything because there was a certain amount of like I sort of prejudged a lot of Tolkien's Legendarium as boring, dry, you know, whatever people who don't want to delve into it think about it. They think they know. Everyone's got a hot take, right? Um, and so I had prejudged a lot of this stuff and I thought like, oh my God, I don't know if I can handle this. Po-. You know, I don't, I didn't think I knew enough and I didn't think um, I had enough interest to really do it. And I have to tell you that over the course of this year, I have learned so much and I, like, and I just thank you for all your patience with me as I'm like, wait, who's Illuwatar? Who's that? Who's Illuvatar? What? I can't pronounce anything. I can't remember anybody's name. So, you know, I, I have still have a lot of growing to do, um, but I'm just getting so much enjoyment 
um, from the stuff that I've learned. And I just am very happy to be going on this journey with you. And um, I'm finding that I, I know more than I thought I did, which is cool. So that's great. Thank you so much for, for your patience and um, for how fun this has been. Yeah. Let's keep doing it, should we? For should we sure. Do some more? I don't know. Yeah. This episode, we're going to be talking about the book, the biography of Tolkien called Tolkien and the Great War by John Garth. And we'll be talking a little bit about the movie Tolkien that came out that is a little bit similar to the book, uh, covers theoretically some of the same events. <laughs> oh boy. We got some beefs, so, you know, that's fine. Yep. Uh, we actually had the pleasure of seeing John Garth speak in person earlier this year when we traveled to New York City um, uh, for the Morgan Library's symposium that they did. We did. And that was awesome because I had listened to his audiobook and he has a wonderful, beautiful um, speaking voice. And he's quite, he's, he's quite a handsome man. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Sorry, that's inappropriate. Sorry, John. It was great. I really enjoyed it. And um, I had, I read his book right before we you know, saw him speak. And so it meant even more to me. Um, but then, I, and then I, you know, when this movie was coming out, you and I felt that we had to kind of go back and revisit it one more time, right? Yeah. And that trip was actually, I'm really glad that we did that and, and listened to him speak. Uh, I've also read a paper recently that he published and uh, it was really interesting to see his um, methodology, how it's evolved from Tolkien and the Great War into more recent pieces. And we'll talk about that when we get into the, the review here a little bit more. Great, thanks. We've got many paths to tread, so let's begin. So, uh, Tolkien and the Great War. Uh, you, well, what's the what's the subheader? The Threshold of Middle-Earth. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, this book covers his, sort of flies through his early childhood, but really sort of takes off when he gets to his, what would be the American, like, junior high, high school era, when he gets to King Andrews. That's what it's called, if I'm not King mistaken. King Edwards. Oh, boy. What is it? We're off to a King Edwards. King Edwards. King Edward. I swear we read it. I swear. Yeah. When he gets to <laughs> King Edwards and it's there that he meets these friends that will become these very influential figures in his life. And then it tracks his life from King Edwards to Oxford and then through training as the war breaks out and then through the war uh, and then the immediately after the war, but very, not too far beyond it, just the years immediately after the war. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this book, clearly John Garth spent a ton of time checking and rechecking and finding all these cool sources because the amount of like intimate knowledge in here is kind of breathtaking. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, and this is, one thing that I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the introduction, um, that really impressed me about 
Garth's methodology, both in this piece and then in this book. And then when you look at some of his later pieces, he clearly has developed a really interesting, I don't know how he does it, but he's definitely got a method now for looking at Tolkien's biographical data and then looking at his literary output and finding the intersection points, finding the way those two things mesh together. It's not a, you see it really kind of elegantly in this book. You see the way that the, the poetry and the, the early writings kind of rise up out of his, the, the biographical data. Um, and it's, you don't really appreciate it. I don't think as much in this piece, um, how much work that must've taken to find exactly the right place where the, to find the events that influence these pieces, because it just seems like, Oh, of course this time in his life, he was reading, he was writing this, but I want to like take a second to think of and reflect on how much work and how much effort he must've made to find exactly the right place where to track down exactly where each poem started getting worked on. And when he started working on each piece, because he doesn't just say, oh, in 1936, he started working on this. He's often calling out days and weeks when yeah. Tolkien starts writing individual poems. And much of that is down to the letters he writes to his friends in the TCBS. But it's very impressive. And in later pieces, if you look up Garth's other work, um, he has a recently published paper in a work, uh, if you look up, he has a paper in a new volume, which I highly recommend, called Subcreating Arda, which was edited by Dr. Dimitra Femi, who uh, I am a really big fan of. She uh, published a couple of other really great books. One called, uh, is an expanded edition of Tolkien's essay, A Secret Vice. Um, but she published this work called Subcreating Arda, which is all about Tolkien's world building. And he has a paper in this book that looks at where it tracks how Tolkien came up with some of the imagery and uh, concepts behind the Ainulindale, the music of creation. And it's taking kind of that, uh, that mix of biographical and world building like literary effort and flips the ratio so it's here's this enormous body of literary work and trying to find the narrative points within that and he does an amazing job of like backtracking through his life down to like days and weeks where he came up with a specific idea it's fascinating. And you can see, once you've read both, you can see how he honed this skill set while doing Tolkien and the Great War. And I was applying it with this like pinpoint accuracy in these other pieces. It's fascinating. It's so interesting to see uh, how it worked out. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out if you enjoy Tolkien and the Great War, looking at some of his later pieces. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a, that's a really excellent point. Um, and a lot of that is it, a lot of that work that he does to marry those biographical moments or those world history moments to the narrative 
sometimes lend a lot of emotional weight to that piece that maybe wouldn't be there. Well, maybe it would, I shouldn't say that, but at least for me, lends a lot of weight to that. And the example that I'm thinking of in my head, and I hope I'm remembering it correctly, um, in Tolkien and the Great War, um, John Garth mentions, I think, I hope I'm getting this right, that Tolkien wrote, or at least started the poem, The Lonely Island, mm. which is about England, when he was on the, on, ship, on the ship, on the way over to France, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. For no, the, you're exactly I mean, right. You're exactly correct. And that poem is moment, so evocative, right? too. Yes. The the white cliffs as he's sailing away. It's it's a beautiful poem. And I think that's it gives you a view of Tolkien's interior life that you wouldn't get from a normal biography. Because if there's one thing that I think makes biographies very dry is they're just a recitation of facts and stuff. And by including so much of the the letters are also really important in that, in giving so much of Tolkien's letters are preserved between his friends and then later on in life that you do get a pretty good feel for what his uh, internal s thoughts were. But then you also get his artistic thoughts, and it really does l give you a much richer view of what's going on in his, in his head in these various times in his life. First, he turns to poetry and the kinds of poetry he's writing and the things he's choosing to write about and why he wants to write this poetry. And it's a very, it helps you get a really holistic picture of who Tolkien is as a creative individual and what he wants to do in the world that I don't think you could have gotten by just saying, he's living here, he's doing this, then he's going to move here and do that. It's really a, a powerful way of presenting the information. And it's also very readable. Um, it really is quite um, moving in places. And it's, it's, it's very, very evocative, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. Um, it's the least dry biography I've ever read. I agree with that. Absolutely. The richness. Well, and I think, and I think the richness in some ways, too, comes from the fact that it's not just about Tolkien it's about it's really it's about all those four from the TCBS his four you know his three best friends mm -hmm. and himself and how because they were so um uh interconnected on an intellectual level with their work with their artwork and their poetry and prose and all this different stuff yeah that it's really kind of cool to see them evolve together through these letters and through the you know the the events that all of them are having so it it, it is really really rich in that way and that's why, like, when the movie, when I heard the, you know, the movie was coming out, I thought, oh, cool, because I actually already really like all these guys, and I, I want to know. Yeah. Well, I want to see them be brought to life a little bit. So. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I just wanted to say too, about this book was really important to me because, and I, oh, I almost hate to say this because uh, everyone's going to be mad at me, but listen. There's a lot of poetry in The Lord of the Rings, okay? There's a lot. And sometimes one might feel like one wants to skip certain things because there's a lot of poetry, okay? I'm going to say it. That's how it goes. But you know what? I have learned through this book how important poetry was to him and how vital it is to understanding the story because so many things are in those poems. You have to, You have to read them and you have to like pick into them and get excited about them. And so that just learned, I had no idea how um, poetic he really was until 
I read this book. I mean, I'm I, so I knew it, proud but I didn't you. internalize it. So I'm, thank I'm, you, John. I'm so thrilled you said that because I really, I was literally <laughs> about to say the same thing. That really? Tolkien's, cool. Okay, good. <laughs> no, I, I, Tolkien's poetry is, I took a class at Mythgard all about Tolkien's poetry. And uh, I highly recommend if you have the opportunity to take it. One of the cool things about Mythgard is that they offer their classes on a rotating basis using pre-recorded lectures and live uh, preceptors. So you can watch the lectures anytime you want, and then they have scheduled preceptor sessions. So you can talk with your classmates and your preceptor and go over the material, and then you turn in papers and so forth. It's a really good system. Um, if you are interested in the poetry, I highly recommend it because it's a great course. And I really, really loved that class because I think Tolkien's poetry is criminally underrated yeah um he's an a really talented poet and i think he he's doing some very very interesting things with his poetry and i think it's so important to understanding who tolkien is as a writer to read his poetry yeah um, i agree maybe it's not important to go back and read all the stuff he wrote in his teens or whatever but i do think Tolkien didn't put poetry in Lord of the Rings for shits and giggles. Yeah, for nothing. Absolutely. It was a purposeful artistic choice. And I I really don't think that he did it because he thought on a whim. He put it there because it it should be there. And he he was a a skilled enough poet that he he chose the kind of poetry he wanted to put in there. And... I, I really uh, strongly believe that. Um, but if you do want to read Tolkien's poetry, you should go back and read it because there's so much good poetry that he wrote. Yeah, and I would actually argue that the early, that some of the early poetry is important. Um, and the reason why I say this is uh, in the very beginning of Tolkien and the Great War, um, John Garth makes the point that John Garth is talking about Tolkien and his kind of spirit of place, I think is what... John calls it and he John says that there is this poem that was published in 1913 in the Exeter College like magazine mm-hmm. and it's um it goes like it's that one that reads let me move my thing uh from the many willowed margin of the immemorial Thames and it's all about how like that Oxford as a place predated the residence. And I love, and it's that whole thing about yeah, how yeah, yeah. geography shapes like the divine hand and, and geography like shapes the people that live there. And that is so important to, you know, to the legendarium later on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You really do. There are many, many places in Tolkien's early poetry where you can see Tolkien, the writer of middle earth, peeking out through the eyes of Tolkien, the young poet. Yeah. You can see his artistic sensibilities and his sort of literary sensibilities in the sense that like the themes and the styles that he will come to use very heavily, sort of sneaking out in these things. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, so I I have to thank, you know, this book for that gift of like me I've now internalized how important the poetry is and and how beautiful it is and that it's not it, right, it's not, it's not there for nothing um mm-hmm. throughout these works. So, yeah. uh that is a big takeaway for me. So, I really I really love this book so much for that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say my my sort of 
too long didn't read review of this book is if there's there are other biographies of Tolkien but they're longer um, they're quite a bit longer and I to my knowledge there this one this is the best sort of cross-section between readability and accuracy um, this is always the first one I recommend to people that want to know more about Tolkien's history. Um, it takes you through the most important part of Tolkien's life, formative life. Certainly there's quite a bit of important stuff that happens to him after this, his friendship with the Inklings and with C.S. Lewis and the birth of his children, and there's a lot going on there. But for the formative years of his life, I don't believe there's a there's I I'm sure there is not a better biography out there than this one. Um, yeah. So I I really recommend it. And even if you're not inclined to biographies in general, if you're interested in Tolkien, it's just such a well written, readable book. I can't recommend it enough. You know, so John, give us, you know, give us a little ring a ding on the phone there. And we'll, <laughs> we'll have you on Atherbeth. We would love to talk to John Garth on yeah. Atherbeth. I, that would be super fun. So yeah, amazing. Know, so then how did this movie, then now are we transitioning to the movie? Like how, yeah, let's this talk movie about the movie basically covers the same thing as the book, right? The same time period as the book. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how we saw this movie. We'll, we, we got to see this movie together. Yeah, which is so rare because we live very far away from each other. Yeah, I live in Ohio, and you live back where I used to live in California. Yeah, so Jude was out here for some important work stuff, and uh, um, <laughs> he just rolled his eyes. You can't see it, but I can. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's probably best we didn't record that night. Um, yes. After seeing it for the first time, uh, not in the least which uh, I was sick as a fucking dog. Um, so I was both feisty and like incredibly hoarse. I sounded like a three pack a day smoker and I was all full of piss and vinegar about the movie. So I'm sure that would have made for some real special audio. I kind of wish we had done it. Not that we had used it, (laughs) but I kind of wish I had it just for like fun bonus content. Like. Here, oh, see gosh. a fever. Here, listen to a fever-addled Jude rant and rave like a madman for forty-five minutes, and then pass <laughs> out at the end, which would have been the likely outcome. Yeah, all in an underground parking lot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of gesticulating and arm waving after yeah. that. Yeah, there was. Yeah, I, 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 I have vague recollections of that. We also now we saw this um, with my husband James. He came with us. Yeah. And he had a completely different view of it than we did. He has read the main stuff of Tolkien. He sometimes listens to our podcast. I yeah. don't know if it's all the time. I don't want to broach that. But, um, you know, so he, you know, he's like a casual Tolkien fan. And um, I think. Uh, what was, so yeah, his, was, as I recall, his his take was, I thought it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> Good neutral. If you haven't picked up on it, uh, Steph and I's take was not slightly less positive. We did not think it was fine, um, but we'll we'll talk about that. 
Um, we'll talk about favorite. We'll talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about it. But let's talk yeah. about what's going on in this movie. Uh, sure. It covers roughly the same period that uh, Tolkien and the Great War covers. It starts out with um, Tolkien as a child and brings you through his youth up through King Edwards, getting into the, the boarding house, meeting the TCBS, um, getting married, going to war, all this stuff. But that's about it. Um, it's like maybe not all the things happen in the same order as real life. Now, all of this being said, let us start by saying that, listen, it's a biopic. OK, they're good. They have to make it. Yeah. Interest, they have to like make give it like a movie treatment. Right. Yeah, to give so, it a beginning, middle and an end. Yeah. Let's talk, I'm going to talk briefly about adaptations. Um, okay. <laughs> Please do. I'm so excited. No, I, 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 I really strong. I, I really strongly believe that you have to take every adaptate when, when you're adapting something to a new media, a book to a TV show or a movie or a, anytime you do something like that, you have to take the new work on its own grounds. You can't compare it. It's very hard to compare it because it, it, a lot gets lost. Uh, I want to be real clear that I think this movie is not good on its own merits, not just because I think it also fails to do what it sets out to do, which is to tell the story, uh, a story about Tolkien. And I think that is sort of my my elevator pitch about what I have, what my beef is with this this film. Right. My problem is with it is that. A biopic has two two jobs. One is to be an entertaining film, and two is to tell you the story of the person it's a biography of, or it's a it's telling you a story about. And my problem with this film is that I think it makes compromises in in Tolkien's life story to make a better film, and it does not do that. The resulting film is not great. I think if they had wanted to just make a World War One rom- romance drama, they should have just done that. I don't think they needed to try and staple Tolkien's life story onto it awkwardly in a way that made the film overall worse. That's my that's my hot take. <laughs> that's a very hot take. Whoa, got to get some potholders for those hot takes. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think that it set out to accomplish certain things and whether or not it made it there uh, is, I guess, in the eye of the beholder a little bit. I didn't feel like there was a ton of chemistry between Ronald and Edith, which is kind of a big problem because that's that that's what they were basing the whole movie on. Right. Was their got, relationship. Yeah, I've had I've seen hot dogs in a pack with more chemistry than the two of those. <laughs> oh my God. That was terrible and funny. Really. Um, I mean, they're both beautiful and amazing act. I'm sure they're just great actors on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just didn't quite land for me. 
if you are making a love story, you got to make totally sure that your leads are going to have chemistry because uh, I just didn't think there was a ton of it there. I didn't buy it. Um, Tolkien and Edith, you know, Ronald and Edith were like, so in love. She was his Luthien man. Jeez. And it was just not apparent in that movie. I didn't think. No, I, I really don't want to spend this portion just shitting on this, this film. No, uh, oh, the true. Sorry. Yes. No, and I'm not. I'm not saying that. That's what you're doing. I'm. I'm a little bit <laughs> trying to back myself up here. Um, but I. I agree with you. I. I do not. I didn't think they had chemistry, and I don't think the film did a good job of showing me that the two of them had the relationship that Tolkien and Edith did. Um, if, and again, this goes back to my central complaint. If the film had been a World War I romance film and they'd had a little more chemistry, it would have worked fine. And mm -hmm. I think this is where I'm breaking my own rule to a certain degree, where I probably need to let go a little bit of the source material. But I think that biographies are slightly different than standard adaptations because the biography has a slightly more responsibility than I think a sta standard adaptation does to portray those events. And I don't know. I think it really yeah. depends on how, how much responsibility you think a biopic has to portray events accurately or which events you think it has a responsibility to show, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, it will not surprise anyone to learn that I felt like this movie failed to accurately depict very, very important things in Tolkien's life. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit because there were some really, really important things in Tolkien's life that this movie kind of blenderized in the name of drama. Sure. Uh, that didn't work for me. So what were they? Let's find out. Let's find out. You want to start? Since it's your timeline. Again, oh, me? Uh, so wait, you... <laughs> I just want to call out that once again, uh, Steph did all the research for this episode. She put together an excellent timeline for us to work with. Oh, stop it. Thank you. I actually have to call out the Tolkien Society online, www.tolkiensociety.org, because they have a really cool timeline that I used as my basis and then added in other stuff so um yeah i mean i wouldn't i don't think we need to go into like all of this stuff because it's kind of a lot um let's well, see we can just talk about what's the find your beef what's I've my been, beef i've been beefing so just to kind of kick off our discussion here so the john ronald tolkien had went to king edward school he went there for a while and then he didn't go there for a while. Then he went back. And at that point, he was kind of ready to graduate and he kind of became the librarian for the school for a while. And he cultivated this group of friends um, and he had three kind of besties. They were Christopher Wiseman, uh, Rob Gilson and Jeffrey Bates Smith. And the three of these four boys, plus their sort of... Um, bigger community of, of friends came together and named themselves uh, the TCBS, which stood for 
Tea Club Barovian Society from where they like to hang out. And they were basically, these four boys were like inseparable. They did everything together. One was a painter and one was a poet and one was a musician and blah, blah, blah. They really found um, a very strong brethren together. And that's who we see. Those are sort of our main characters in, in the movie. Plus Edith. <laughs> so when we talk about the TCBS and his buddies, those three boys, those are who we're talking about. And they all had, you know, their own experiences in World War I. And um, some of them didn't make it out. And that's very important in this film and in Tolkien's life as well. So now let me talk about my beef. So I want to talk about Edith and the TCBS. One of my beefs, and this is like a dumb beef, but listen, okay. Tolkien did not tell the TCBS about Edith until after they were like betrothed. Okay, so they got engaged right when he turned 21. And then about a year later or something, they actually, yeah, it was like a year later, she was received into the Catholic Church. And at that point, they became betrothed to be married. And it wasn't until after that that Tolkien even introduced Edith to the TCBS. There was no like weird smarmy. There was he, something smarmy about that in, in the movie, didn't you think? I yeah, he didn't even tell them that she existed. Right, they had no idea. Yeah, um, and let me tell you why that's important. Tolkien had a very unique relationship with those guys, and the idea that a woman... I don't like that they made made it so that like a girl could come into that relationship. I don't know. It was just such a shitty rom-com trope to have like him immediately jealous of her beat talking music with one of his friends. Yeah. I didn't like it. Um, yeah. I, it, it felt really contrived. Simply they radically altered the timeline of their relationship simply to show Tolkien being jealous. Yeah. Which doesn't work for me. And again, this could be a case where I'm, I I can't be objective because of the material, but it doesn't feel like a good reason. And I, I thought the scene was bad in general, but it felt like a bad reason to do it. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it just kind of cheapened the whole thing um, because we do actually have letters um, between um, uh, John, you know, Ro sorry, Ronald and his friend like Chris Wiseman right from that time period where, you know, um, Wiseman like embraces her like of course we want her to join us it's great you know and it, it must have been such a relief for Tolkien to be like okay okay my friends want to hang out with her or we're cool you know I just think that whole thing was kind of cheapened a little bit yeah by that weird scene yeah so we talked about that I don't know what other beasts do we have I I want to talk about um Christopher Gilson uh Rob Gilson or, or no, Christopher sorry. Wiseman Christopher Weissman. I want to talk about Christopher Weissman. Sure. And the way that this film kind of fucked up that entire relationship. I know. They really edited um, him out. Tolkien and Weissman refer to themselves as the great, what was it, the great twin brethren? That's right. Absolutely. They were, it, within the, the TCBS, they were the original sort of core 
So the T to give a, a quick timeline of the TCBS, uh, Tolkien and Wiseman had this great friendship. They were very much opposites. They fought about everything, but they were great, great friends. They event the TCBS eventually got kind of out of control and very big and very raucous. And they had a council, like fucking like some sort of like council of Nicaea thing where they kicked everybody out except for Wiseman, Gilson, Tolkien and um, Smith and Smith. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, they kicked everybody else out and boiled it down to these four. And but the, 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 the core of that foursome was Tolkien and Wiseman. And throughout their youth, through college, throughout the war, they were intensely close. And that relationship e is effectively gone in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. There's no hint of that intensity of a relationship in the film. They kind of replaced that a little bit with Rob Gilson in a weird way. But... Uh, that really bothered me because um, there's no no goddamn reason to do it. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, it really I can't me. think there of was no reason. earthly reason why you could why why they did that. Can I tell you what my hot take is on that on why they did that? Uh, I, it's probably I hope it's not as bad as my hot take. So go. for All right. It. Well, here's what I th I think it might. And I hate I, I don't know. This just came to me just now. But I thought, you know, Chris Wiseman spent uh, World War One. He was in the Navy and he spent all of his time up in, or you know, in Orkney on Scarpa on Scapa Flow. I can't say it right. Sorry. Um, up at the very top of Scotland. And he saw some action. But like of all of them, he sort of had the most. I don't know. Should I even say that? I guess I don't know that much about him, but he lived through the war. He's the least interesting of the ones, right? Oh, well, that's better than mine. I would have said that they weren't comfortable depicting a relationship between two men that close. Oh, I hope that's not the case, but that also could be it. It could be that too. I just I mean, think like he's the least, if you're going for a wartime film and you're trying to pull at the heartstrings, the one that doesn't make, that makes it is the least interesting of the three of them. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I was shitty though. Uh, that is shitty. Yeah. I, I was really frustrated with that aspect of it. I, all right. We, I said we weren't going to turn this into a gripe fest about the film. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> I think happening. what a lot of these complaints boil down to is the film fails to capture what I think are important moments in Tolkien's life. It's not that you can't change things around for dramatic effect, but there are a number of these things that are crucial to who Tolkien was and how he grew as a young man and to cast them aside or to recast them for dramatic effect, you just don't make a Tolkien movie. Make a World War I movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It really feels to me, and what's frustrating to me is I've read interviews with the director of this film, and he did a lot of research on Tolkien. It just seems like he didn't care. Like, well, he did the research... 
and then yeah. decided not to do it right anyway. There's probably a lot of pressure from studios too to dress up a story. So I can't say that totally, you know, just well, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. I have more um, things I can complain about, but. Our um, listeners will just have to buy us a beer sometime and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's, I think your feeling is valid. I think when we got out of that movie, we felt, we felt very like underserved by yeah. it. Right. There we was felt a great very much moment. Like, Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I just thought, you know, we love, we love Tolkien. We love him. We want the whole world to love him as much as we do. And what a cool opportunity this would have been right, right on the eve of this show that's going to come out and mm. ugh, everyone's going to love it. Who knows? That would have been a great time for everybody to get on board uh, yeah. with Tolkien. But I just, yeah, I just don't think that uh, happened no. so much. There was a funny moment. Uh, I remember as soon as the lights came up, I looked over at Steph and I heard James cackle and I looked over at James and he said, you two have the exact same look on your face. And <laughs> um, like horrified indignance or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I would not know what words to use to describe the look, but I definitely had a, a cranky, I think, look on my face. Yeah. Um, you were a little salty. A little. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I think yeah. I, my, my, my final word on this is I was disappointed in the film. Yeah. Um, I wanted it to, at a minimum, respect the fundamental elements. And I did not feel like it did that. Yeah. But I think from, it's a, it, for me, it's good. Honestly, I think if I watched this movie a year ago, before we started this podcast, I would probably like it a lot more than I do mm -hmm. now. I feel like Tolkien is my buddy and he's important to me and his life is important to me. Yeah. And I just feel, so I think you and I are a little harder on it than everyone else. Oh no, I'm sure. You know, might be. Yeah. Um, but I, and I, and I think that there were a lot of really good things about this movie too. They got some really small like details, you know, added in that were very cute um, and the costumes are really beautiful. Can I, can I say my one last beef on this? No, though? please do. Yeah. And I, I almost, I hate to say this because I cannot remember my source, but I was on Twitter and somebody had this wonderful take of like, you know, we see there is this a whole series basically in the main part of this movie, he is trying to find Jeffrey Bage Smith. He's going through the trenches looking for his friend who he thinks has died. And that never happened. That's not a thing that that's not a at all. Yeah. Uh, but so that's fine. But hallucinating okay, fucking Sauron in the trenches. Right. But don't get that's me fucking started. That's my issue. So then he's sick in the trenches and he's hallucinating Sauron and he's, you know, an, uh, we're, and like the black riders and all these things, all these imagery is, is coming from the battlefield. And, and this person, I'm so sorry that I can't remember who said this and I'm not trying to steal it from you, but this wonderful smart person said that takes away so much agency from Tolkien because it wasn't something he saw. He came up with these amazing, scary characters way later in life. Like maybe they were based in his experiences in the war, but he certainly didn't hallucinate them. That yeah. takes away like so much of the magic, like, you know, the magical quality of Tolkien and his, you know, his imagination. So I don't know. No, that's that a, cheesed that's me a off. really, really great point. And I strongly agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Nope. I, I very much agree with that. Um, I will say my final big beef was that he is far more open with his language creation in the film than he was in real life. Um, he wrote a whole essay late in life about the, after the Lord of the Rings came out called a secret vice about the fact that he didn't talk about his language creation. He thought it was a silly hobby and it wasn't something he talked about. Yeah. Um, the idea that he got his Oxford scholarship in, uh, in Germanic languages because of fucking Quenya is, um, um, <laughs> I, I found that very frustrating. Yeah. Um, I get why they did it, but I, that really, again, these yes. are someone who, who is, is playing really fast and loose with the, with the facts without a lot of respect for the character. And that bothers yeah. me. Yeah, um, this is this is a this is a very important point in John Garth's book is this of Tolkien and his language and Tolkien and John Garth says I wrote this down as I was reading it because it, it made so much sense to me but John Garth argues that Tolkien made myths to give life to his language and that Quenya is based on phonological principles and the link between language and mythology, you know, between human language and human beliefs are so bound together Um but that really was a language that started it, right? In yeah. so many ways. No, very much and, so. And that's and that was totally reversed, I think, right? Yeah. In the movie. No, I, yeah, yeah. I, I was very. Yeah. Not only did they turn it around backwards, so that the 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 myth came after the language. I, they or yeah the, or no, the myth came before the or language. The myth I came think. before yeah. the language. Right. They. Yeah. No, I'm not into it. Um, Jude's malfunctioning. So am I. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not a fan. Um, I know. I respect what I respect that there will be people who will watch this movie, and maybe that will make them want to go read the Lord of the Rings, and I think that's great. Yeah, and that's great. I respect that the director ostensibly did some research and wanted to make a movie about Tolkien. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people try a lot of things with good intentions and fuck them up. So, yeah, that's that that seems to be what happened here. I don't think he made a bad movie out of malice, but that no. doesn't, you know, I think that Tolkien had a really great life in a lot of ways. He He went into the war and it was terrible and he lost a lot of really important people to him. But he made it through and he, you know, with all of his parts and then he, you know, and he was married to the love of his life and mm -hmm. he was successful and he, everything was fine. There's that's not <laughs> the most interesting basis for a movie where you want drama and all the things. So I get where, you know, where they sort of had to do this. But again, maybe maybe we didn't need this. then. <laughs> Maybe this yeah. wasn't necessary, right? Mm -hmm. But Agreed. anyway, I don't know. That being said, please, you know, if you guys have different opinions, let us know because um, yeah, I'm really interested I to hear. Like it, right? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I'm really interested to hear other people's opinions on this movie. If you think we're being too harsh, or if you think we're nitpicking, um, entirely possible. Yes, uh, I am super, super not this film's target audience. I think. 
Um, <laughs> Good point. Uh, so I, I'm super open and willing to accept the idea that I'm being overly pedantic and nitpicky here. Um, yeah. But I'm interested to hear what other people thought of the film. So Yeah, please let us know. You can contact us on Twitter or Instagram or whatever you want um, and let us know what you thought. Yeah. Um, because we've been wrong before and we'll be wrong again. And we want to know when we're wrong. So For that's sure. Great. Cool. So what are you going to buy the DVD when it comes out? Are you going to get yourself a Blu-ray? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I oh, will not okay, be doing all right. that. I will not be doing that. No. Fine. I guess I guess I won't either. Um, yeah. So that's that. So that's 12 episodes. Dang. Yeah. Congratulations. I'm giving you a firm handshake. Firm handshake. Across, across the internet. It's <laughs> a lot of handshaking. Yeah. So I guess maybe maybe we could also say that it, uh, we'll put um, this uh, bibliography in the show notes so that if you're interested in reading uh, any of these kind mm. of Dr. Femi stuff or uh, John Garth stuff or whatever, you'll be able to find uh, all those titles down below in, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And thank you for... I guess, you know what? Are we kind of done? Can I say thank you to our yeah. listeners? I think I need to say thank you to our listeners. Thank you guys so much for being with us for 12 episodes. You are saints. Yes. Very, very patient through <laughs> long stretches of elf souls and then horsey bullshit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we really appreciate you putting up with our, our weird foibles uh, as we explore Tolkien's legendarium through our individual uh, lenses here. Absolutely. And thank you so much for everyone who's gotten in contact with us over this last year and chatted with us. We love meeting you. So please continue to do that. Reach out. We're really nice. I swear. I know you wouldn't think so after this episode, but we're actually little kittens. We're so nice, aren't we? Yes. Well, I'm nice. I don't know about you. <laughs> He's giving me a smile. <laughs> awesome. The road may go ever on and on, but our 12th episode is over. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps increase our visibility. You can find us on the web at www.podcast.athrobeth.com. You can find the show on Twitter at athrobeth underscore cast. Jude can be found at Aramitic Jude, and I can be found at the North Four. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings by Pony Music, courtesy of Pond5. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>